Well, I am so glad to be with you today, and I count it as a privilege when Heidi called me to be able to just be with you guys. I babysit my grandsons a lot of Tuesdays, and that's the reason I'm mainly not involved with Abide right now, because I know I need to be. But um, the, on the day that she asked me to care for them, I don't want them to have to go into, you know, child care on that day. But I hear such wonderful things about this ministry and what God is doing among all of us through, through you all and through Heidi's leadership and servant heart. It's all good. And I am so thankful for this ministry to our women. I am a mom of three and a grandmom of nine. And so my heart is with all of you who have been up through the night and have taken care of uh, sick babies and who are coming out of sickness in your own families. We are in our family. I'm recovering from bronchitis that followed up on the flu that sort of kind of thumbed its nose at the flu shot I took and said, it really doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm going to hit you anyway. Well, Heidi has told me that in, in your book on James that you all have uh, Carrie Fulmer has been helping us to understand inductive Bible study. I am um, I'm passionate about Bible study, not as passionate as I should be. I am in school, and so sometimes you'll find that if, for those of you who've been in seminary, that seminary study can actually pull you away from your own personal growth in the Word because you're so busy studying either to speak at conferences or, or to do a paper that you fail to do that for yourself. So I ask for you to intercede for me that my prayer life and my uh, biblical study will, will continue to grow. So this was an opportunity. Because I'm an apologist, I spend a lot of my time talking about the evidences in the world around us that show that not only God exists, but that Jesus Christ is all he claimed to be. And so getting back to a biblical study on James was just wonderful. Uh, I was talking to Connie Presley about it. She said, you know, in James, you can just sit there, and when you take notes, you just write down the whole, the whole book, you know. And one of the reasons why is because the way James has laid this out is a lot of pithy sayings. It reminds us of Proverbs. You look for the connections because it's just bam, 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 one command after another. And you feel sort of tired by the time you finish reading a chapter, you know. But it's also an exciting book because it connects us with what kind of a faith we are to have and what a genuine faith really looks like. And so we're going to talk about that today in uh, James 1, 19 through 27. And I understand as taking the inductive approach that you all have that Carrie has written in the front a lot of good questions on how to do observation, then interpretation, and then what would the final step be that we never want to forget? application. That's right. So she has laid out the questions that you could ask in each of those, but I thought that some of you who are old timers here might remember Dr. Stephen Rummage. Was anybody here when Dr. Rummage was here? Anybody? Okay, so several of us were here when Dr. Rummage was here. I had him for two preaching classes, and those men knew that I didn't want to become a pastor. I don't believe that's biblical, but I, I did teach and uh, speak in women's conferences, and they graciously accepted me in their preaching classes, 
and evaluated my sermons just like theirs. They were wonderfully gracious to me, and I learned so much in that class. And one of the things that he did was right at the beginning help us to understand how to take the Word of God and take a look at it ourselves without first opening up a commentary to see what someone else said about it. And that was wonderful. And of course, you get that in, in a lot of BSF and precepts with K. Arthur. Um, but it was wonderful because it, it gives us a chance to look at the Bible and deal with it just as it is and then go to some resources for clarification, but not just start with what someone else says, but deal with what the Word says. And we can do this. So we are going today, if you flip your page over to the back, you'll see a structural diagram. That's one of the steps of inductive Bible study. And I've told you basically how you can do that on a different page. And if I were you, I would just do this. I'd just tear these pages apart so you can lay this beside it and then turn it over on the structural diagram and you'll just take notes on that. When you do a structural diagram, it's, it can be a lot of fun, especially for a book that's a lot of instruction like James is, because you can lay it out with the main points to the left, that what you think seem to be the main sentences, complete ideas, and then subordinating thoughts, kind of indented a little bit under that. And then I like to put the connecting words in brackets Okay, and so I did a lot of the connecting words already in brackets. You'll see a four there that you could put a, a bracket around if you would like. And then I begin to see patterns and relationships of the, the ideas that the author is trying to teach me whenever I do this structural diagram. If you don't like that formal word, call it a map, just a map of the passage. Well, now, if you're doing your own study and you weren't assigned a specific passage, how would you know what you wanted to kind of study, what units. We call them pericopes. We look at them as paragraphs, but pericopes where there's a, a main thought kind of centering that section. Well, how do you find them? Well, if you were to open your Bible, you would probably see little indentions, and those indentions sort of identify the units of thought in our Bibles, and most Bibles are laid out like that. So that would be helpful to you if you were just going to tackle a book on your own and you wanted to actually see how do I go about it. Now, what we're going to do on the structural diagram, you'll see that I'm just teaching right off of mine. I have just <clears throat> made notes. I put um, observations I wrote out to the, the side here. Interpretation stuff I highlighted in green so I'd remember. Interpretation is kind of the questions I wanted to ask. And then I got some answers to them, maybe looking on Bible Hub. I wrote three sources on the other side that I'll show you, Bible Hub, uh, lectionarystudies.com, and then uh, gotquestions.org were, were the three sources that I tackled to find out what were some cross-references. I put all my cross-references, like verses and things, I put them over here in the margin. They didn't all totally fit, but you get the idea. This is not a, a goal of being perfect. This is to get the most out of the Lord's Word, and so this is just, this is how I did it, and this is what we're just going to go through today. So I want to show you also that when I first did this, that I did it in my journal. So I wasn't doing it just to teach you. I, I do this a lot in my journal. I like to, to lay things out and find out what the thoughts are. And sometimes I go, I can't decide. Does that go over here or over there? And the Lord, it's like the Lord, he doesn't speak out loud to me, but he sort of kind of nudges me. Get over it, move on. 
you know, yeah, don't get, don't get bogged down in this. Have fun with it and see if you can identify main points, subordinating thoughts. So you can see that in my journal, I just, I just wrote it, I wrote it out. And then I began to see, wait a minute, there are these main points, you see. And I was able to highlight them and then I can go for it and begin to interpret and then go for application in my own life. So what am I going to do this week about this? Because that's the part that I, I'm not nearly as good at that part as the first two. How about you? <laughs> That's a little bit harder. Well, let's look at this passage of James and just read it together. And then what we want to do, while I'm reading it aloud, you may begin to make observations. Well, what kind of observations might you make? Well, if you go to this front page and go to the bottom, what to look for, you'll want to note some main themes. So, you may just, main themes, you may want to put a box around or any, any way that you learned in precepts. Supporting material, then if, then, and because sort of statements. Reasons for doing things. Why does God want us to do what he asks us to do? Sometimes he just tells us right, right in the passage like he does today. Why do I want you to be slow to anger? Because it doesn't fulfill the righteousness of God. Well, I want to fulfill the righteousness of you, Lord. I want to know your holiness in my life. So I'm going to have to work on cultivating this short fuse that I have to extend it, you know, so that I'm, I don't take things so personally. And so that's a real application for me in my life because it's a weakness for me that I struggle with all the time. So then we look at how is his thought progressing? Where he starts here and he goes to here. Where is he going with his thinking? And what are some questions or assertions or exclamations that he makes? Then one thing that I enjoy doing, it's contrast and comparison. Because in this passage, they totally jump out. Now, I don't often teach like this where I go through the inductive study itself. I, I just teach it. And that may have been what you were expecting today. I would sort of battled, struggled with this. How do I approach this? Because normally I just, I just teach it. I go and tell you all these things. But I'm really wanting to equip you. And I know Heidi does too. And because the study is inductive, I thought at least for this time, I'll be back other times, but at least for this time, I'll go through that process. We'll do it a little bit together so you can see how it works. For those of you this is old hat, it will be easy. But for some of us, we, we get bogged down or we can't figure out how to do it. So I hope that this is helpful. We'll also look at conditional if-then statements, whether something is a past tense or whether it's an ongoing command that we're to continue, reasons, words that are repeated. What do you think about words that are repeated? You think they're probably important? Yeah. What do you say to your kids? I've, I've told you this 20 times, 100 if I haven't told you once. Because why? Repeated things are important things. And then in this passage, we have a figure of speech or a word picture. We have one of those, so that's going to be great. He gives us an example. We all love it when our pastors give us a real-life example, an illustration we can hold on to. He does that in this passage. And then uh, assertions that show his firm conviction. And then in this passage, there's a lot of commands. There are a lot of commands. So how are we going to identify those, get those in order, and bring them down where we can bring them into our life as we walk out of here today so that we begin doing things and we live out the transformation that God has promised us? Theological concepts, we want to identify those because those are the foundation that undergird all the doing and then promises from God. So these are some things that we want to look for as we're reading. Also while we're reading, you want to think of questions of what you may do as we're reading through. If it's a question, just put a question mark. Then you know that's about interpretation. It's something I want to understand better. 
you'll find that there are some basic questions about the background. You probably covered a lot of those at the beginning, like James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, that he was writing to the people, the Jewish people, in dispersion, which means that they were scattered because of persecution. It may have been as early as Saul of Tarsus's persecution, or even a little later, uh, scattering throughout Palestine that began before the, the scattering throughout Asia and Paul's missionary journeys, written probably before 62 AD. Those kinds of questions you can easily look up in Bible dictionaries like Easton's Bible dictionary and find out those background things. And then definition questions. There are several concepts in this passage that I did squiggle lines under and wrote a question mark by because I want to know what he means by law of liberty. I want to, what, what does he mean? Is he use it somewhere else? And, and those kind of seem like it's an oxymoron, law of liberty. That's sort of weird sounding to me. So I want to understand that better. So I make that a question that I want to ask about it. Then what is the implication? What is the reason God says for me not to, for me to cultivate slowness in anger? We want to connect that. I write reason beside it so that I'll remember. God has reasons for asking me to do or commanding me to do certain things. And then relationships. You're going to put brackets around. You'll notice I lined up the words that have but or and between them. I line them up because they're parallel, right? There'll be, in one section, there's a uh, don't do this and do this instead. Okay, well, that's cool because it's very hard to put away something and not keep looking back at it. But if you're saying do this instead, then I get to refocus. That's going to help me out because when I'm not just emptying and laying aside. I'm, I'm to do something in its place. That's a good thing for me. And then cross-reference questions. Where else in the Bible or in this book does James mention this concept? So those are all good things to do while I'm reading the passage aloud. You can just begin to make some of those connections. And don't get religious about it. Just have fun with it and notice a few things. And don't let it get you sidetracked from listening to the whole passage. And then we'll go through some of it together, okay? Okay. James 1, 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. <clears throat> For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. <clears throat> Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently looks at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. 
And if you got one of the old copies before I made the new ones, you have to write in, this person's religion is worthless. I accidentally omitted it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before, the, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I sort of wish that she had given us two verses instead of, what, seven. This is a lot, isn't it? when you think of being a doer of the word. Now let's talk for just a minute together about some words that you see that are repeated, words and ideas that are repeated. Just call them out. Say that again. Hearer, doer. doer. What else? Slow. So we're to be slow more often than we're to be quick, right? <laughs> slow. We're to, we're to cultivate this uh, downward movement in our emotions and responses. Okay? What else? Religious or religion? Word. Law, the word law is repeated. You see anything else? There's one that's repeated that is a result of us thinking wrongly about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Self-deception, right, self-deceiving. So these are concepts that are important for James, for us to know. What about commands that he gives us? So you may want to underline these. Commands. Yeah. Be swift to hear. Slow to anger. Slow to speak. What else? Put away. Filthiness and wickedness. What else? What else? Keep unstained. Okay, so you want to mark these commands. You make mark them in a different way. I put letters beside them. A, B, C, I just kind of numbered them. Instead of, uh, in addition to putting away, we're to receive something. The engrafted word or implanted word. Now, what are some things that um, you would say were word pictures? Is there a word picture in here? The mirror example, right? The mirror example, very good. Is there any cause and effect? If this or relationship similar to that, let's do cause, effect, reasons. 
You'll be blessed. Good. Yes. Self-deception. Uh, hearer only. There's another cause of self-deception. What? Hearer only. Uh, if you think you're religious, and you don't bridle your tongue. Bridle your tongue. <laughs> don't bridle tongue. Okay, and then let's ask questions about some concepts in here that we uh, may want to understand better. I put squiggle lines under those. Ideas that he mentions. It may be more than one word. I, I mentioned law of liberty earlier. Yeah, receive with meekness. I think I got that part. But why does he say uh, receive with meekness the implanted word? If it's already implanted, what is, I don't get what is it that I'm receiving. And what does he mean by implanted word? Anything else? Yeah. <clears throat> rampant or abundance of wickedness. Yeah, what does he mean by wickedness and filthiness? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. If he forgets what he looks like, yeah. does he lose? Uh, forgets. Okay, very good questions. And so that would be points where we might want to go out and go out from the passage itself and use resources, not necessarily commentaries. We can go to dictionaries, uh, biblehub.com. I just cross-referenced James 1, 19 through 27. I went to every cross-reference for each verse that, where we find it. So it was very easy to find cross-references where either the Lord or James or Paul or Peter spoke about similar things so that I could get a better picture of what he probably meant by that. Some people think that James was contradictory to Paul because he spoke of, of works and talks about Abraham being justified in his sacrifice of Isaac by his work as well as Rahab being justified by her, by her work. And so many people think, well, is he saying we work for our salvation? And so it's important that we understand James properly or we will get a misunderstanding and detour off the path or struggle with doubts about our salvation every time we fail to bridle our tongue. 
you know, how many of us would say that we have been successful in bridling our tongue? Well, I can't stand up here. I'm sorry if that's, if that's the, the plumb line. It is the plumb line, though, for God's perfect righteousness. Fortunately, we live by the law of liberty. The law of liberty is the law of grace, the law of grace that we, will be, that we have been given through Jesus Christ. And so uh, we need to understand both of those. But at the same time, James brings home an important point. A faith that is a transforming faith is a doing faith. There are results in the way we think, in the way we uh, act, if our faith is a genuine faith, if it is true religion, a true act of worship. If our lives have really been transformed, it changes the desires of our heart and our, our awareness of our sin. And so these are things that need to happen. But I will say this, very often, when sin is brought to my attention, my first inclination is to go to shame and hide. I hide from you. That's easy for me to do. I can hide in books all day. I'm that kind of person. Pull back from relationship, hide. I hide from the Lord, or think I do. Instead, the Lord has said, as these are revealed to us, that we're to come straight to Him, agree with Him. That's what confession is of John, 1 John 1, 9. To agree with Him about that sin. He's faithful and just to get, forgive our sins and to cleanse us. We start fresh. His mercies are new every morning. So I need to be reminded of this constantly, and in the context of James, it's a good thing to remember. So now we have looked at these connections uh, between the sections of the scripture. Let's start with know this. Know this, when he talks about knowing this, he's about to give us an imperative, a, com a command, isn't he? He's wanting to listen. Now listen to this. But notice the context in which he gives it. My beloved brothers. And he's writing to the sisters too. They are encompassed within the body of Christ. In that time, writing to the brothers encompassed the full body of believers. Just like we would use the universal he in, in, um, in much of our writing that is being questioned now. But it's talking about mankind. But the brothers include the sisters as well. So he gives all the commands that he's giving in the context of love and the beloved. I love you. This is why I'm telling you this. And he's talking to people who've, who've done what? They've endured great suffering. Now, there are those of us in this room who have at some point during this past week cried ourselves to sleep. We're suffering. We're hurting. And we need the truth of Jane because why? If we know Christ as Savior, we're the beloved and what, about, what he's about to tell us is going to strengthen us for the trials that we face. It's going to assure us that we are his precious ones, that he has a plan and a purpose, that our suffering is not for nothing, that we can use it to be conformed to his image, increasing holiness into his likeness and our blessed state of fullness and not anxiety. And I'm a person who struggles every single day with depression and anxiety. It is something I walk with. And James helps me 
to face and walk through it to the better place and to acknowledge my real status, my real safety, and my real abundance in Jesus Christ. He says, now, let every person be. Notice how he gives that command. I want you to be, you better be, you ought to be. If you don't be that, no, he says, let every person be. You see how he words that? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, one of the questions we might ask over here in interpretation is what are we to be quick to hear? Is he talking about to hear the word? Well, he mentions that later, so that's probably included. He mentions hearing the word and receiving the word. But he also is probably talking in a general sense because the rest of it is slow to speak and slow to anger. Those are application for everyday life, right? So when he's saying be quick to hear, we can ask ourselves, this is moving into application. I'm going to put in some application. Then I'll give you a handout of application that we can look at and take home and, and work on later. But think about this. How quick am I, in, am I to hear? So he's saying to the people, look, be quick, brothers, be quick to hear. That means to be focusing on listening. How many times when we're listening are, are we thinking about what we're going to say next when they take a breath? So he's saying, slow that down. Think about what someone's saying. Seek understanding in what someone is saying. And don't be so quick to give your opinion. Proverbs 17.27 is a cross-reference. Proverbs 17.27, remember I put my cross-references this, on this side if you want to put it right there. Even a fool seems clever when he's silent. So there are good things about just being silent. Slow to speak and give your opinion and slow to anger. What does he mean by anger? Well, the New King James Version uses wrath there. Sometimes those are used as distinct words and sometimes as a single word, but there is a point in common there. What do you think of anger? Temper, outburst, short fuse, irritability. Am I hitting anybody in here? Guess how I thought of those? Because they're true of me. Um, how would your friends describe you? How would your family members describe you as slow to anger? This is something we can cultivate. We'll talk about that in application in a few minutes. Now, notice the relationship. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The next section is the why. It's the reason. I wrote reason. Why do we need to be all these things? Why do we need to be slow to anger? And I think focusing on understanding and listening and slowing down our responses also helps to automatically de-escalate anger. All right. Now, slow to anger for what? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Another, um, another person who spoke about this was Paul who said, you know, be angry and sin not, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Handle it, handle it quickly, promptly, deal with things and, and then don't brood, hold grudges. Yikes, yikes. Any grudges that we need to, to let go of or ask forgiveness for? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We can't fill up righteousness. We can't fulfill righteousness if we're always angry about something because we're so busy brooding. So this is an important, important command. 
When he says, do be slow to speak, James in chapter 4, verse 11 says, do not slander. Be careful, especially how we talk about other brothers and sisters in Christ. So I put brackets around quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay, those are three things. I put that the let every person be shows that it's a command. And quick to hear means to listen, yes, to the word, yes, but also in general life to practice focused listening with the people that we talk with on a day-to-day -day basis. I notice I take care of my little grandsons. Um, their mom works upstairs with her dad and the two little ones, the three-year-old and the one-year-old are downstairs and I'm often with them. And Drew, we call him Drewby. Drewby's off, I can't understand the word Drewby says. It's really hard. I try, I've lost hearing in, suddenly in my right ear a year and a half ago or two years and so that makes it even hard, harder. But he, he, he's talking, and I know he knows what he's saying. You know that experience when they're in that transition. Sometimes we're teaching them more, more. We're teaching them all these signs to get them through that period of time because we can't quite understand everything they're saying. His mom can understand more than I can. But he'll tell me something, and I'm going, I'm right here, Drewby. I'm here, I'm here. I'm, and he's not wanting me to be there. He's wanting me to listen and understand, but I can't understand, so I'm getting frustrated because even though he's telling me to do something, I can't do it because I don't, I don't know what he's saying. So I need to slow down and listen and then practice more measured responses with him. And that's going to build my relationship with him instead of yielding to frustration over those moments because he's already frustrated. And I'm the grown-up. I don't have to be responding that way. So that's just one quick application there. And then he says, therefore, don't be, you know, start controlling your anger. Oh, let me back up and say one thing. How is this command on slow to anger, and anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God, contrast with everything you hear from the world, I'll say friends who are not believers, about what we should do when we feel angry? What does the world tell us we need to do when we feel angry? We need to get it, get it out, okay? And they assume that the only two options of dealing with anger is to feel rage and push it down or to spew it on the people we love most. That's the assumption there. Now, he's saying to be slow to anger. This tells us that we can begin to cultivate our uh, um, submitting our emotional responses to the power of the Holy Spirit who, who wants to enable us to do all that he's asked us to do. I can get better at this. Why? How do I know that? Because the Lord is in the process. He's promised to sanctify me. He didn't just justify me and make me right with God. He is sanctifying me every day, conforming me to the end. I can get better at this. I can get slower at becoming angry. So that it's not a matter of stuffing it or spewing it, but there's just less there to deal with. Now, the, he's not telling us when he says to be slow to anger, to be dishonest and deny that we feel angry when we do. But he's also said that other places in the Bible tells us there are ways to deal with being truthful, being honest, being wise. We don't have to every say, say every thought that passes through our mind. You know, she is a woman uh, who never had an unspoken thought. I don't want to be that woman. Okay? 
So we can choose to take some things to the Lord that we take nowhere else. So these are things we can do to deal with, to deal with but to cultivate slowing the anger response and submitting it to the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us and has enabled us to do all that he asks us to do. And therefore, the next step is to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. Well, what does he mean by that? Let's think of some other sources. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 talks about some of the sins that we're to put off put away or put to death. Some of these sins are. And notice that each time, to your question, of that, does that mean I'm not saved? Each time he is writing to beloved brothers. James is writing to beloved brothers. Um, Paul in Galatians is writing to Christians. So yes, these sins to, do occur in the Christian life, but they should not be spoken of us. Okay? The Lord will convict us of them. We often have besetting sins that are, are repeating sins because Satan knows where our weakness is. We can submit those to the Lord, but they sometimes take time and cultivation and refocusing on, on God's plan to, to put them in submission to the Holy Spirit. Filthiness and wickedness would include things mentioned in Galatians uh, chapter 3 would be uncleanness, passion being controlled by our passions, our evil desires, covetousness. How content are, with, are we with what we have? Covetousness, anger, malice, blasphemy, lying to each other, filthy language. It says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. How, how uh, wholesome is our speech? These are a part of filthiness, rampant wickedness. Whenever I think of filthiness, I think of uncleanness and moral, moral challenges. Have we at any time this week thought of what it would be like to be with another man than the one God's placed us with? Or if we're single, uh, nurtured this idea of sexually being with someone else. This is moral filthiness. This is something we are to put away in our lives. Our spouses will never be the fantasy portrayed on TV, and they will never be perfect. We will always go through difficult times where we see, the, see them at their worst, just like they see us at our worst. And so what are we doing in terms of the temptation? Are we putting it away? Because he says, notice parallel, this needs to be bracketed, put away something and receive something. What are we re to receive? We are to receive the implanted word. Now notice that the word has been sown already by God in our hearts. We know the truth as believers in Christ. Already been sown. It's implanted. But to receive means to embrace. And this receiving requires us to do something. To submit ourselves to the authority of God's word presiding over our lives. The authority of God's word presiding over our lives. Whenever we come to the scripture, one thing that we can do is to see the scripture and to pray before we go into the scripture and confess that it is God's authoritative 
authoritative word over us. We place ourselves underneath it in submission. Now, Clint often says something at the beginning, right before we read the Bible. What does he say about God's word? But the word of our God, and I always say the last two words with him, stands forever. Is that what you do? Stands forever. And what is that doing? It's doing what I'm just talking about. He's saying, you know, we fade, we're temporary, we're fallen, we're broken, but Lord, your word stands forever. We place ourselves now, as we read your word, under its authority and its power to change our lives. To receive the implanted word, the word that is sown in you, you must receive, you must submit to. Because is it true that Christians, not losing their salvation, but Christians, we can rebel against the word? Well, yeah. We see believers in the Bible who've done that. I think we're miserable when we do that because the Holy Spirit indwelling us does not let us off the hook that easily. But we do sometimes um, not receive, embrace. Have you ever been distracted by something you need to do right after service? so that you don't really receive the implanted word. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes to maintain focus when we have worries or concerns or is the baby, should I've taken him to nursery? He's kind of on the bubble. I hope that, is my number going up there? You know, all those kinds of distractions that occur during the middle of worship service as we listen to the word. Now, here, if I were to pick a central thought in verse 22 of this whole passage, is what this is what I would pick. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Now, is he saying not to hear the word? No, he's not saying not to hear the word. He's already told us to, to hear, be quick to hear. All right? So we know he's not saying we shouldn't focus on hearing the word. And ways that we can hear the word or, or take the word in, can you think of some ways that might, in the, during the week, we might take the word in? Sunday morning, we come into the preaching service, we hear the word explained to us. What are some other ways during the week we might take the word in? Daily Bible study. When you have little children and, and uh, there's not five minutes to spare, and the moment they fall asleep, everybody says, well, you need to sleep with do," and you go fat, fat chance. Uh, because I, I, I got to get the bottles ready for when he gets up. There's not a, there is no time. And you're so exhausted and sleep deprived. Uh, there may be other ways that we can take in the word. One would be to play the word. Uversion, version of the Bible is a great uh, app, Y-O-U version, and it has many translations or many, um, yeah, m many translations like King James and NASB and ESV of the Bible, so you could play that. It's always good to play more than one translation to get the full uh, meaning of, of a passage. So you could play that instead of just playing the TV in the background, just play that in the background and then pull a phrase and just walk with it as you're doing, doing things. So that might be a way to take in the word. Another thing when we want to apply is maybe uh, where we brush our teeth to write the word so that when I'm brushing my teeth, I've got however long I, do the alphabet song or whatever, and I'm brushing my teeth, I'm actually seeing the word. So moms that have young children where uh, you have very little time on your own, we're gonna need to cultivate some ways to take in the word that aren't your average sit down for a Bible study for an hour. 
Okay, so that's that's good. Those are good ways to do it. Um, I remember the first time that I took a shower, and no one cried, "Mama." I remember. I, I can. I know where I was. I remember the day. It was in Fresno, California, and I thought. No one's cried mama, and nobody's come to the bathroom. What if somebody's dead? <laughs> and then I thought, I'll risk it. And I didn't, go, <laughs> I didn't go out. I remember having that thought that first time that I got through a whole shower without them uh, coming in. And, and so and then during that season, when you're on the toilet and you're not even by yourself then, we have to think of other ways to take in the word. Okay, and that's a good, it's okay. Do not guilt yourself about not spending hours in Bible study. When we do have time to do the inductive study, some of you may have done her study, Carrie's study this week uh, in your time. That's good, but don't guilt yourself in it. Go ahead and take in the word however you can. So we are to be hearers, but we're not just to be hearers. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, that everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is not of a, a true believer. So yes, we should evaluate whether we are a believer in Christ based on our, whether we have placed our trust in him to save us and forgive us of all our unrighteousness, recognizing that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. But we will fa fail in these areas. That's why he's offered us 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. Not because we lose our relationship when we sin, but we do diminish the fellowship when we sin. We diminish the fellowship when we sin. And so we want to restore fellowship and right relationship, but we will never not be the Lord's child once we are. Why? Because we didn't make ourselves his child. He did the work, and his work is sure and trustworthy. All right? Now, not hearers only. If we hear only... We deceive ourselves. Hmm, that's an interpretation question. How might we deceive ourselves? You're concerned we may deceive ourselves that we're not believers. It is good to examine whether we are in the faith, but we shouldn't be on an emotional roller coaster, and I have been in my life with doubting my salvation. I've been there. Miserable place to be. Miserable place to be. But when I began to understand the work of the Lord in my life, now I've come to a place every time I began to doubt, I trust you, Lord, I, because I didn't do it. You did it. I'm trusting you. I have no plan B. When I, get, I know that when I die and get to heaven and I'm standing, if, if, the, if there are the pearly gates where they actually let you in, I don't know if it works quite like that. But I have no plan B when I get there. If the Lord should say, why should I have left you in? Then to say that Jesus Christ paid for all my sins and he is my Savior. I have no plan B. That's it. There is no good work I have ever done that can make me right with God or that's good in and of itself. So I know because I have no plan B, and he's the only one I'm, I'm putting my hope and trust in, that he's forgiven me, that that is true salvation. I, I trust that, and so I don't struggle with it as much when I fail. Now, he says, don't be a hero only. So how might a Christian then deceive ourselves? Have you ever looked in the mirror and, and go, oh, whoa, I look way older than I thought. My mom says, my mom says she does that all the time. She's 87 now, and she looks in the mirror and, you know, and never look with it down here. Okay? Never look with it down here. Up here is bad enough, but never look with it down here and see all that. Okay? So, so the older we get, the more we, we recognize that. 
But can Christians deceive themselves? Yeah, we can deceive ourselves into think that fellowship is right with God. Does that make sense? Yeah. We, we, can, we can deceive ourselves in thinking that we're okay or that we're not as bad as. And remember, he says, if, if, if you don't commit murder, but you do, whether it's in your heart or physically commit adultery, you've already sinned and you've already broken the law of God. Okay, let's move quickly on. Our time is about to run out. So a man who hears the word and is not a doer, now he brings us this word picture we're very thankful for. It's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. And one commentator that I did read said, imagine that your hair's all messed up. Uh, Say, so you, you know, have you ever put your, your eye stuff on or, and, you go, and you look at it later and go, oh, that's embarrassing. Or my lipstick's way down here. Or I've got a smudge here. I've done that so many times because I'm in such a hurry, you know, fixing my face. And then I come back and go, that's just embarrassing. And nobody told me I had spinach in my teeth or whatever. So, that, so we look at ourselves, but that we look at ourselves intently. And then we walk away and we forget the spinach in our teeth spiritually. That's possible. We walk away, we go ahead and busy ourselves with something else and forget this, how bad things really are. What our real sin state, that we've not confessed this sin, that we're holding on to this sin and, and nurturing it in our heart and regarding sin in our heart. And he said, if you do that, you're deceiving yourself about being in right relationship with your Lord. And if you're not in right relationship with your Lord, you're not going to be in right relationship with your your. Uh, brother or sister in Christ, and vice versa. We can't harbor grudges and hatred with people and be in right fellowship with our God. So we can do something about that. Now he says, but the one, now notice I put contrast here, but, because this is what I want. I want to do the but. But he who looks into the perfect law now, I question interpretation. What's the perfect law? And he seems to be making a parallel by calling it the law of liberty. In other words, the law of liberty. Perfect law or the law of liberty. Is he talking about the whole Old Testament law? Well, it, it may be. God's law is perfect. The Ten Commandments have fulfilled those. You're able to do that. You have fulfilled God's righteousness. You're in right relationship with Him vertically and with man horizontally. But he may be talking about more, not only that law, but that law which was fulfilled in the law of liberty, which is grace and freedom. Galatians 5 speaks to this law of liberty, the law of liberty we've been given, the law of freedom in Christ. What are we free from? Folks, what he's saying here, you have been freed from the power of sin to control your emotions, thoughts, and actions. Now act like it. You are free. You don't have to sin. See, before in our sin state, we were compulsory sinners. We couldn't not sin. We're in rebellion against God. We want to be the boss of ourselves. And then he gloriously saved us. Now he has empowered us. Now we have a choice. Now we have a choice about sin. Isn't that beautiful? I have a choice about it, and he is freeing me so that I can more and more resist temptation and sin. And whenever I stare intently, not just look, but stare intently into the truths of God's word, this law that frees me, the law of grace, 
the law of love, and I keep doing that. I persevere, and I'm not a hearer who forgets, but I'm a doer who acts, and I seek to live it out, not just hear it. I'll be blessed in doing that. What does it mean, blessed? Blessed means, in a very general sense, happy. But imagine the state of a right relationship with God, a right fellowship. I am blessed in the doing of the law. So in other words, doing these commands, putting away filthiness, putting away this, and instead receiving the implanted word, focusing on the, in the week on how I'm going to receive and live out the truth. What this does is it blesses me in the doing of it. It's not that I get blessings for doing it. The doing of it, being able to live righteously, is the blessing. I'm no longer under the dominion of sin. I can live righteously and in right relationship with God. And then finally he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, if you think your worship is real, but you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart. Now, I don't think he's saying we lose our salvation if we don't bridle our tongue. We need to practice our worship for it to be genuine. We need to be considering what comes out of our mouths. That's what he's saying. This person's religion is worthless. What does he mean? It doesn't do you a lot of good if it doesn't help you change and be transformed in your life. That's what he's saying. Believers, remember, your, your religion, your worship changes. It's a transforming religion. It's not just checking lists. That's what true religion is. And it will be lived out in ministry to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's the outward movement, and now there's an inward movement. I wrote outward by the first one and inward by the second one, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now he's talking about my personal purity. It's not just about loving others who are in need, bearing with one another, bearing burdens and bearing with our, our idiosyncrasies, annoying habits of our friends, not just bearing with one another, and bearing one another's burdens, but also to cultivate moral purity in my life by refocusing on what is true. And this is what the Lord has for us. Now, I want to give you that you can take home um, as a summary, and I didn't want to give it to you early because I didn't want you to look at it, because you need to have done this background work before you jump to a summary and application, right? We need to understand, what, see what we see, and then understand what he's saying before we can apply it in our lives, okay? So that's what we want to do. And then this application, what do you think the central thought of the passage is? Don't just hear the word, but also do what it says. And then I wrote down five commands ways that we can actually live out the word and they're straight from the scripture be quick to hear quick to uh oh i, I put quick that i you need to correct that second one it's slow to uh <laughs> slow to speak and slow to anger sorry about that <laughs> i messed up when i wrote it down okay and i ask you to do some real application to rank yourself zero to four for how quick you are to Listen, how slow, change that second one, slow to speak and slow to anger, rank yourself zero to four. And then, is it five after? Yeah, I need to quit, okay. 
Uh, and then you can complete the rest of this. And then notice that uh, I also included consequences at the bottom. What are the consequences of my response to these commands if I disobey and if I obey? And then choose something to do off of this. I've given you some specific things. And she did in the Bible study as well that you can do. And you may talk about some of those in your group time. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a good time in small group. I do have some resources over there. Or if you want to talk to me about anything, please feel free to come over. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you.